I invite you now to, to grab a Bible, to open it to Luke chapter 5, which if you're using one of the Bibles in the pew, you'll find it on page 861, the portion that we're going to read this morning. But we're, we're considering together what it means to be, what, what the purpose of prayer is in our lives. You would be normal if, if somebody were to come up to you and to ask you, uh, do you feel like you have a, a strong prayer life? If you said, you know, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> there are times where I sense that there's this real connection, this real relationship, and there's other times where it just seems distant, that prayer is at one and the same time something that is so easy, anybody can do it at any time and at any place, and yet we often find ourselves troubled by it, wondering, is there more? Am I doing something wrong? Am I, am I not using the right words? Or is there something different that, that I should do? But building just even off of James' testimony, when, when we can change our conception of God and, and see him as he's revealed himself, that he is our loving heavenly father, that he's already sent his son to secure our salvation, his, his desire to do that is to then have a relationship with us where we do sense his presence in all things, in the good and the bad, that we sense that God is with us and that we make ourselves open and available to him, seeking his will, his wisdom. That's what a a relationship is. If I were to ask you just about somebody in your life and say, oh, do you know that person? Yes. Well, when was the last time you talked to them? Oh, it's been 10 years. Okay, you you knew them at some point, but you, you don't right now have a real active and strong relationship. There's always communication that happens when two people are relating to one another. And so the passage that we're going to go to, this whole series is in the book of Luke because it's the gospel more than any of the others that actually emphasizes prayer. And we saw last week about what role prayer played in the life of Jesus, that all throughout his life, it was his priority. And not because he was ignorant, not because he necessarily needed something, but because he had a relationship with his father. And so prayer was always a part of his life, seeking his father's will and to do all that he desired. And so we're going to be in the gospel of Luke and today's message is entitled Cries of the Heart. We're going to look at a story that actually doesn't say that much about prayer, but I think it's one of the best stories that we have in the Bible to get at the deep issue of of what prayer is and how it can function in our lives. So we're going to read from verses 17 to 26. And if you're able to kind of think and listen at the same time, then ask yourself the question as you're reading this, what is this saying about prayer? And how we're to relate to God, what, what it is that he desires from us. So beginning in verse 17 of chapter 5, on one of those days, as he, Jesus, was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there, who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles 
into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what had been lying what he'd been lying on, and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. And that's where we're going to conclude our reading for this morning. So our story begins with Jesus' ministry having grown in its popularity the word has gotten out about him that Jesus is full of wisdom and power. Jesus is full of wisdom and power. And so there were a big group of people going to him, people that wanted to learn, and he was teaching, but also people who were sick and who were looking for healing. And so that's just the immediate description that we get, that there were Pharisees and teachers of the law who were sitting there, and also those who were needing help not coming to maybe ask him a lot of intellectual questions, but there were others who were coming because they had a need and they wanted help from him. But then we get this description that helps us realize how much the word has gotten out, that when one of these people who really has a need, who needs healing, comes, he's not even able to get inside the house to see him. So, so the, the difficulty is not on the part of Jesus. He's there to teach and to heal but there are so many people that are coming to Jesus to learn from him and hearing that he is powerful that there is difficulty now for others to even get in. Just can't even get access to the help that they need. And so this is one of the great things about prayer. When we come to our God, we come to somebody who has demonstrated over time that he is full of wisdom and power. That, that's one of the things that we have to believe when we're praying or we're not going to keep going to him in prayer. If, if we think we have all the wisdom or we have all the power or somebody else does, then that's who we're going to go to for help. But here, the reputation of Jesus has gotten around in his own day that he has wisdom and that he has power. And so people are coming to him for a variety of reasons, but their focus is to come to him. What is he going to say? What is he going to do? And how is he going to do it? This is one of the first convictions that we have to develop. Who is Jesus? And why is it that we come to him and through him to the Father in prayer? Well, we believe that he has proven himself again and again in history, that there is good reason to come to him in prayer. He has the wisdom and he has the power. And then we're introduced to another person, somebody who's paralyzed. 
and this paralytic has a need and a weakness. It says in verse 18 that behold, some were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. So that's his need. He's paralyzed. That need has affected him in such a way that he can't even himself go get the help he needs. So this need that he has has made him weak. He'd be the first person to say, something's not right here. <laughs> I get it. I don't, I don't need to be persuaded of that. Something's not right here. But what has gone wrong has gone so wrong that I, I can't even go. I can't take myself. So even if there is help out there, how do I get to it? How do I get to the help that is there and that is available? And we find from the story, he, he, he can't. He doesn't have, he not only has the need for a cure, a need for help, he needs support to even get to the help that he needs. And thankfully, he's got friends. Thankfully, there are other people who can bring him. This is a cost for them to to bring somebody who can't move and they, they have to carry him. They've got to shoulder his weight. And, and, and traveling back then was a lot more difficult than, than traveling is today. And then when they get there, so they've done all that work. They discover that it's hard, it's hard even to now. Now that we're here, we made it all this way, there's another barrier. And it's not even the weight of this man, and it's not even the desire of Jesus and the ability of Jesus to heal. And, and so... They have to do even more work. And it says that they actually came in through the roof, but they were so determined, so compassionate towards their friend that they were going to do whatever it needed to be done to bring their friend before Jesus. And even if that meant doing a little bit of damage to the property, they were going to do it. And this is just an amazing picture of what prayer is bringing our needs and our weaknesses to Jesus' wisdom and power. This is what we're doing when we pray according to God's will. We're bringing our needs and our weaknesses before his wisdom and before his power. But prayer comes out of a desperation. Prayer comes out of a longing that we need something that we we don't have. There's something out there that's better and that's greater and that we aren't experiencing right now. And so here this friend is, is brought before him and he's laid at his feet and then Jesus surprises everybody in the room. It's already, I mean, there's much that's already surprising about what the friends are willing to do to bring him on. But then Jesus says something that nobody expects. He looks at the guy and he says to him in verse 20, man, your sins are forgiven you. Up until this point, nobody had said anything about his sins. And nobody had said anything about people going to Jesus to have their sins forgiven. So what is Jesus doing when he says this? Your sins are forgiven. 
we can tell right away that from some people, they're, they're really bothered by this. The scribes and the Pharisees that are sitting around say, who is this who speaks blasphemies and who can forgive sins but God alone? And it says Jesus perceived their thoughts and so then he spoke back to them. And so what we get here is a picture of the heart's cry and longing. That Jesus has the ability to see what it is that our hearts want. What it is that our hearts are longing for. See, I don't, when Jesus said to the man that your sins are forgiven, he wasn't doing something that the guy didn't want. He wasn't honoring a request that the, that the man didn't have. We, we don't hear him asking for it, but it would be wrong for us to assume Jesus is doing something that he, he really wouldn't have wanted. That, that's not why he came. And so in this man's weakness and in his struggle, realizing that he was going through a pain that he didn't even have the ability to handle, that in that got him to reflect inwardly and to desire even more than just physical restoration. Even more than just healing. And even though we don't have recorded for us his words that request that, we have the words of Jesus who can perceive our thoughts, who can see what's in the heart, what really is at the core of that request. What are you really asking me for when you're asking me to heal you? And Jesus can see that. He can perceive what the heart is crying out for and what the heart is longing for. And he can answer that. That's a, that's a, a really convicting question for us. If you just take a list of prayer requests that you would have. So first identify what you're praying for and then ask yourself, why am I praying for this? What's the desire behind this? What, what is there that's making me want to bring this request and this prayer before God? And consider that sometimes we do bring things to God out of our own selfishness or maybe out of bitterness towards somebody else or a lack of contentment with the situation that we're in. But there is usually behind the requests that we give, a deeper heart issue, a need and a desire that is there. And Jesus, the one in whose name we pray, can see those things. So we can't fake it with him, is one of the things that this text is telling us. We can't fake it with him. See, as human beings, we're, we're always struggling with two realities. There are things that you feel at times, aren't there? That you don't have words to express. You're capable, and I'm capable of feeling things that we don't, we don't have a vocabulary to really get out and to really say, this is what's going on, or this is what I need. Because we can feel deeper than we can speak. We also have the ability to speak things we don't feel. Right? We can tell people we love them and we really don't. 
We can tell people it's great to see you and we're not really excited to see them. We can tell people we're doing fine, everything's okay, and we're not really fine and everything's not okay. And, and, and we go back and forth between those two. There are things we feel that we don't have words to express and there are things that we express and say but we don't really feel. But here's the thing, Jesus sees both of those. And in our story, that's what we get. He sees the deeper cry and the deeper need of the paralytic, but then when he perceives the thoughts of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he realizes they're not just asking a, a, a question, but he can perceive their thoughts and see that their biggest concern is not God's glory, God's word, because that, that's the way they would have been arguing it. Hey, hey, what are you doing? You're, you're offending God. You, you can't say that. That's blasphemous. And Jesus said, no, 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 no. If that really was what you were concerned about, that that isn't what you'd be saying. You're expressing with your words what your heart is not saying. Your heart is not desiring God's glory, God's fame, God's power to be manifested. Your heart is desiring something else. And so even though your words seem to be defending God, they aren't. And so Jesus treats the two very differently. He sees the heart behind the paralytic's cry and answers that prayer, forgives him of his sins, and he sees the heart behind the question that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are asking, and he exposes their heart. He can't answer that because to answer it is to deny himself. But what's deeper inside of them is that they care more about their will, their way, than they do about God and his will and his way. But when we come before our maker and our savior, he sees all that. He perceives all of that. And that should be for us at one and the same time good news that if you're sitting here today and you're saying you don't have the same situation as as this person you maybe aren't struggling physically to the extent that he did but you've experienced things in life that you would then be honest to say I am overwhelmed I don't I don't have even the ability to help myself I know I need it but I don't even know where to go And even if I got there, I don't know what the right words are. Are there right words? Is there a certain code that unlocks this? And I have to know how to say this forwards and backwards. And if I I don't just say it right. And so for me to get help, I I have to learn all of these things and all these religious terms. The story is saying, no, you don't. Your heavenly father can perceive your heart's cry. And so that if all that you can do is say you need help and you want to come to him for help, that's all he needs. All he needs to see is the desire in your heart to really and truly not want your way, your will, your own righteousness, but really coming to him, longing for his salvation, his goodness, his power. He's not limited by your or my 
words. And if we're feeling things that we just don't know, that we have the vocabulary to express, that doesn't stop him. He can hear that prayer. He can see that cry and that longing and answer it. And that's our last point, that God gets glory in answering these prayers. It says in verses 25 and 26, after now, not only has this man been healed spiritually, all of his sins have been forgiven. He's been healed now physically. It says immediately he rose up before them. He picked up what had been lying and he went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all and they glorified God and were filled with awe saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. See, God gets glory. It brings God joy to answer our cries and longing when what we're crying for and longing for is his salvation, his help, his support, his power. You see, if we don't believe that, then we're always going to feel like in our prayers, we're trying to talk God into doing something he doesn't want to do. And how often do you spend talking to people that you think they don't really want to be talking to you right now? That's not fun. You don't keep talking to them. And so God has presented to us in such a powerful way to say, I do want to hear this. I do want you to bring your request to me. It brings me glory. It it, it increases my joy to hear from you and to answer and to meet your deepest needs and weaknesses with my wisdom and power. So that when we go to him, we're not trying to talk him into things that he doesn't want to do. He's already demonstrated to us his heart, his character, and his purpose. But he has that love and he has that character with full knowledge. So we can't trick him either. We can't tell him we want him if we really don't. We can't tell him we desire his glory and his fame when we really don't. We can't show up to church and do all the religious things that other people might tell us to do and trick him. And that isn't what he desires from us. His desire is for our true longing, not to show ourselves to be strong, to show ourselves to be like the Pharisees and the teachers, but just to acknowledge our need of him, like the paralytic. That we are weak and that he is strong. And then to come to him in prayer. And that's not just a prayer prayed one time. That's a lifelong prayer. It should be for us a daily prayer. To be reminded every morning that as we come before him, not so much of all the things we want and all of our requests, but all the things that we need from him and that he is so willing and gracious to give. And so let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you
that we can come to you, that we can be connected to you. And we thank you that you're not limited by our words and our wisdom and our knowledge that you can see right through all of that, right into our hearts and know what's there. So Father, we pray that you would look past all of our efforts to to be like Pharisees and Sadducees and to, to act like we're better than we are, to speak with our words things that aren't even true about our hearts and that you, Father, would show us our need Show us our weaknesses. Father, we thank you for the testimony of James that we've already heard and his acknowledgement of his need long ago and your answered prayer. And we ask that for somebody, even this morning, their testimony would begin. That they would acknowledge in their own hearts because that's where the battle really is, that they need you and that they desire for you to take over, to take control, to, to address every physical and spiritual need that they have. And we pray that you would be glorified in our walk, in our daily experience. Do what you need to do to bring us to that place so that our prayers could be answered and that your glory can spread. And it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.